Thanks, Jace. Good morning. Uh, thanks for braving the roads uh, and showing up today. Appreciate you participating. And those of you that chose to join us online, too, appreciate you. Uh, it's an interesting time, isn't it? Lewis and Clark County just uh, cut down uh, to 50 any non-essential gatherings. So we are actually not included in that group. So uh, for now, we're able to continue as usual. But I think we just, you know, it's just one of those things where we just need to continually be absorbing grace, reading the word, being with God, and and just preparing ourselves because I don't think this isn't the end of it and it's going to be a bit. So just appreciate your ongoing uh, support and uh, understanding, flexibility, those kind of things. And uh, we'll keep plowing ahead. Uh, we've been in a series on the Word of God called 40 Days in the Word. Our small groups have been doing it. Uh, it's a workbook and videos and small group discussions. All our messages on Sunday uh, for a few weeks will be surrounding the 40 Days in the Word. And uh, so that, that's what I'm talking about today. And what I want to talk to you about today is how the Word of God changes us. How the Word of God changes us. Let's pray briefly. Father, I just come before you this morning, Lord, and submit myself to you. God, I need your strength and, Lord, your view. God, I don't, I want to, uh, God, just unpack your scriptures today, Lord. And I pray for all of us, Lord, to receive from your Word the seeds, Lord, that you want to sow into our hearts and how you want to change us and adjust us. Pray your blessing upon our time today. In Jesus' name, amen. There is no other book or collection of writings in the world like the Bible. There's, it's it's uh, historically true and those kind of things, but what makes it even more so true is that God's Word is arguably the most powerful force in the world. The most powerful thing that we come into contact with in the world is God inserting himself into our circumstances. The scripture teaches us that by his words, creation was made, that he spoke. A lot of people ascribe to the idea of the Big Bang Theory, right? Everything going back in time uh, came from somewhere. There was a big explosion, and I think that big explosion was God saying, let there be light, right? Let it begin. He spoke and things were created. Even science draws our attention to the idea that somehow, in an unknown way, there was a beginning of the universe. It was when, the, if, you, if, if you will allow this much personification, it was when the breath of God came out his mouth in the form of words, and his words go out and do what he intends it to do. When we speak, it may or may not carry weight, it may or may not be true, it may or may not accomplish what we want it to, but when God speaks, it's timeless. It's powerful. It's directly connected to his nature. It accurately reflects who he is and what he wants to do. And it's trustworthy and true. Not necessarily the case for us all of the time. Though hopefully, to some extent, our word does represent us well. God's word represents him perfectly. His word has a supernatural power to change lives. It's creative. It's, it's the breath of God. When we look at Jesus's life, God in the flesh on earth, oftentimes when he was healing people, he was doing so with his words. When he spoke into a situation, it changed things. And the example that comes to my mind and like what I like to daydream about and imagine is that I'm standing there by Lazarus's grave. 
And Jesus, he, he's days after Lazarus has died, he's standing there and he speaks and he says these words that I, I can't imagine what it must have sounded like. I don't know if Jesus had a deep booming voice or what he had, but I just hear, Lazarus, come out. This authoritative, powerful, commanding word of God that came from Jesus' mouth and a dead man got up and came out of his own tomb. That's how powerful the word of God is. When God speaks, it has a creative impetus and power that goes out and does stuff. It gets stuff done when God speaks. And so when we're looking at the scripture, which is the word of God, we're seeing that power at work. And when we receive it, it becomes powerful in our lives. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. This is Jesus speaking in John chapter 6, verse 63. Jesus, I just think about it. The words that I have spoken, what Jesus has said, the word of God, are spirit and life. Oftentimes we get in this situation where we're comparing the spirit with the word. and does, is, you know, what, Okay, the word says this, but what is the spirit saying? And does, They're one. It's all God. It's God's word. If something's out of alignment, then we have to discern what is out of alignment when it comes to those things. Their spirit and their life. They're not just information. It's not just language. It's not just text. It's power. It's life that comes from God and does something in our lives. Jesus said, I have spoken to you these words, their spirit and their life. And we want that. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. For the word of God is living it's living. It's active. Today we're going to use a lot of action words with the points I want to make today. The word is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and of spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Our words aren't quite so powerful, are they? But the word of God is that powerful. It, it goes in, it does things we can't even see. It goes into our soul, it, it discerns things. It's powerful. You know when a cartoon character speaks, you know when you read the comics on Sunday morning, maybe you did that today? I don't think anyone reads a paper anymore, but the little balloon comes out with the text in it. This is kind of a cheesy example, so bear with me. But I have this picture in my mind when, when, God speak, when we speak, it's like text comes out, and I can say, hi, and the word hi comes out, right? And I just imagine that text. But when God speaks, it comes out, and I imagine that little balloon, and then a little fuse coming out the end that can be lit like a stick of dynamite. When God speaks, it goes out, and it carries way more power, has way more potential than the words that you and I can speak. It's full of things that can change our lives. We need change. How many of you need to change? I need to change. Every day I'm confronted with the issues in my life where I go, I have to change. I have to, I have to change. And I can't pull my, you ever reach that point where you're at the end of your rope? I can't pull myself up on my, my bootstraps anymore. I can't deal with this situation anymore. I can't deal with myself anymore. I need something more than me to change. Well, God brings that power into our lives. D.L. Moody said this, the Bible was not given for our information, but for our transformation. The Word of God doesn't come simply to inform us, but to transform us. When God's 
spoke into our existence, when, he, when Jesus came into our world and brought the things he brought, or when God spoke to the, to the people of old who pulled the scriptures together in the Old Testament, he wasn't doing it just to inform them, he was doing it to transform them. He was introducing something into the creation that would reconcile the creation to himself. And all he had to do was speak it into our world, and it took root and has grown all these years. One thing I want to cover, I've got seven things I want to talk about. I know, seven things. How in the world is JR going to cover seven things in the amount of time? I know how long he can take. Well, we'll try and do that briefly. But one thing that I want to cover before I do is a lesson that we learned. Uh, I think Jason may have talked about it. I can't remember for sure a little bit uh, from Derek Prince. And he has a section in one of his books where he t- he's talking about the Word of God. And he says, response determines effect. Your response to the Word of God determines its effectiveness. Many reject the Word of God. Many reject the Scripture, and it does nothing for their lives, and it's not absorbed. But many accept them, and it changes things. We want to respond to the Word of God. Uh, you know, you, you, get, you get out of it what you put into it. If you take the time to accept it and let it change you and let it do its work in you, it will be a mighty and effective work. But if you ignore and do not comply or do not absorb or aren't making it a part of your regular diet, not a lot's going to change. You're kind of left to your own devices, your own power to change. Why not lay hold of what God has spoken into the world to help you become who he's called you to be? James chapter 1, verse 21. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness. There's action here. Put some things away. Start to leave this old you behind and receive what God has brought to you. Receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul. God is bringing this word through his scripture, ultimately with the the idea of the gospel and what Jesus has done, and we want to receive it with meekness. There's got to be a receptiveness, a response. I need to bring it into my life. I need to want it, those kind of things, if I want it to be effective. We don't put the word of God under our pillow at night and hope our brains absorb it, and it does something for us, right? No, we don't. We read it. We process it. We study it. There's all kinds of ways to study it. We dialogue with others about it. We listen to J.R. yell at us on Sunday about it. We do all of these things in order that the Word of God continues to become a part of who we are so that it can make a difference. We receive it. We need to take action on it. For the Word of the Cross is folly to those who are perishing. It isn't powerful. It doesn't mean anything. There's not, it's just been rejected for those that are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. This word has come and we believe it. It becomes powerful and mighty in our lives and it activates our faith and all the things we're going to talk about and changes us. But there's this idea that it's not going to do anything for our lives if we're not really willing to receive it. God has freely given it to us to choose whether or not we will serve him. Hebrews chapter 11 is full of people of faith who heard and responded. Notice there's no one in the list of the heroes of the faith that heard the word of God and rejected it. But those that heard and responded, it did great things in their lives. Okay, number one, what does the, how does the word of God change my life? First of all, the word of God activates my faith. 
fundamental principle in Christianity. The gospel comes, the good news comes, the word of God comes to our lives, and for most of us or all of us in the room, the word came to us at one time or another, and we received it. We had faith in it. We heard that good news, and something inside of us goes, I believe that. I want that. I'm going to receive that. It activates our faith in the sacrifice of Christ and ultimately is then our salvation. So with faith, so consequently faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Where does faith come from? I don't have anything to believe in if I haven't heard it. I just get to believe in whatever I can make up in my own mind. But then something outside, something powerful, something from God comes and I go, that is true. That is what I'm believing. That's what I believe. And our faith becomes alive in us. It becomes active. Romans chapter 4, verse 3. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. See, in Abraham's life, the word of God came. Abraham believed it. And God credited him as being righteous because of that. Because he received that word, believed it, and took action upon it, that made him righteous. It wasn't something he was able to do. It was something that God brought and it activated him. He believed it. And it was counted to him as righteousness. It became the fundamental principle of our salvation. The word comes to us. Jesus, so God so loved the world that he sent his only son, Jesus, to die on the cross, Right? Whoever would believe in him will not perish but have everlasting life. I believe that. And our faith comes alive and it's activated. Lots of other passages of Scripture when we read them. Why do we believe that God still heals? Why do we believe God loves us? Why do we believe in coming to church or being a body together? Why do we believe in these relationships? Why, why, why? Because the Word, the Word, the Word. What God has spoken into us, into our creation, is what we lay hold of. And it activates our faith. And I do want to point out here, how how is Paul making this argument? And often, Jesus does this all the time as well. What does he do to show the people what to do or what to believe or how to instruct them? What does the Scripture say? When it comes to us making decisions about what we believe or how we're going to behave or how we're going to interact with someone, this should be the first question that comes to our mind. What does the scripture say? Not what is my gut reaction, what is my opinion, what is my attitude, but rather what does the scripture say? So often in issues in life, we come up with our own idea of what we think is right, and then we go to the scripture to try and justify it. And certainly if you're on that mission, you can do that. You'll find just about anything to justify what you want to believe. But rather, if we flip it the other way around, we go, what does the word say? I'm going to let that inform my belief. Significant difference. Significant difference. It activates our faith. You know, when we read other works, and there are lots of good works. I, I enjoy a lot of different types of books. And there's lots of things that we read to help us, right? Like, I mean, there's self-help books, but there's lots of other things too. We read them. They're very information, informative and can be helpful when we put the things into practice. But nothing carries with it the power to help us change like the Word of God. See, the Word of God, you know, if I read a book on how good it would be for me to exercise, it doesn't give me the power to do it. In fact, it actually frustrates me. Jerry, you should, I'm reading the book. Jerry, you should go to the gym three times a week. And then if it came with a little bottle of pills that just made me do that, that'd be great. But it doesn't. It doesn't come with the power 
to help me change. But God's word comes with power, life. My words are spirit and life. When I receive them, I'm also receiving the faith and the power and the encouragement to do what they say. Abraham couldn't have done what he needed to do without the power of God backing him up. So the word of God activates my faith. What else does the word of God do? It recreates my life. Another fundamental principle of the gospel and why it's such good news. So many of us can remember the desperate need to change, the desperate need for God. And when the gospel came or the moment in time came that we could really receive and make a change for our life, it was a welcome thing. We, that, that new life, to leave the old behind. The word comes to recreate my life. John 3, 3. Jesus in his famous conversation with Nicodemus. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Of course, this frustrates Nicodemus because he's like, what? You can't be born a second time. Jesus is talking about being born of the Spirit, a rebirth, a dying of the old us in a spiritual sense, and the taking on of a new life, born again, the Scripture refers to it as. When the Word comes and we receive it, it, that power goes into us. It recreates who we are. We let truth helps us leave the old behind. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again. Peter's using the same language. A rebirth into a new life, to a new hope. What did he say? Born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Because this word came, because Jesus, Jesus brought the word, he spoke the word, he fulfilled the word, he was the word, okay? These things are not necessarily completely indistinguishable from one another because God is totally true. But he fulfilled it, and because of that, we can be born a second time. Have you, some people revel in the idea like, oh, if I could do it over. If I could start again, if I could be born again. But in a sense, in the spirit, that's what happens. When we receive the word of God, it brings that transformational power and we're born. And what does that mean? It means the old has left us behind. Let's look at some different scriptures. Galatians chapter 6, verse 15. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision. Okay, I'm not, I'm not going to cover that except to just say that what he's talking about here is what at the time was an outward sign of your faith. Okay, he's just talking about things in the physical. All, whether, you're, whether you're a Jew, whether you're a Greek, whether you're circumcised or uncircumcised really isn't the issue. What counts here is a new creation. What, what really is carrying weight here is the idea that I've been born again. I've left the old behind. I've been recreated by the blood of Jesus. Because I've received that word, it's recreated my life. Pro- probably the most famous passage in regards to this idea is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if anyone is in Christ, those that are in Christ, those that have received that word, those that believe that, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. And so we're in this situation where 
the old us continues to dog our heels throughout our lifetime and we're constantly transforming away from the old and letting the old die and embracing the new. And it culminates, Paul talks about, it culminating in the end with a new body. This one dies on this earth. We leave this one behind. And it culminates with receiving a new body one day from God. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Now, if in your mind right now, everything is rising up against that, going, ah, don't, I don't know. I, uh, 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 well, that's just it. We need, to, uh, we need to lay hold of the word of, in faith and leave the old behind. There's an activation that has to take place from the word of God. He chose to give us birth, James chapter 1, verse 18. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth. That word comes, it gives us birth. It's important to realize that the power of the word, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. The word comes, it recreates our life. The word of truth, something God gave us. So the word activates my faith, it recreates my life. What else does it do? It eradicates my guilt. Maybe you're somebody today that Deals with guilt all the time. Guilt of your past, guilt of your decisions, guilt of your current situation. Because here's the thing, we all screw up, we all make mistakes, and we carry this conviction around with us sometimes that we've made a mistake. And yeah, if we recognize that we made a mistake, we need to leave it behind. But once we're forgiven and once it's gone, we don't need to carry that around anymore. Our guilt has been eradicated. It's like someone who's served their time, they did their sentence, It's behind me now. I've done it all. I've taken care of it. Jesus took care of it for you, and you do not need to carry around guilt anymore. So Jesus said to the Jews who believed him, John 8, 31 through 32, If you abide in my word, abide, remain, live, soak it up, make it a part of your life. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And here's the result of that abiding. You will know the truth. Well, that's great. And you know what the truth will do? The truth will set you free. We we need freedom in so many different ways. But one of the major ways we do is we need freedom from the guilt, the ball and chain to my past that stops me from believing in what God has for me or who I can be or where I'm headed. It sits there and drags behind me. But God says, I want to cut that chain out of your life. I want you to leave that guilt behind. You don't need it anymore. I paid the price for you. I did the time for you. I laid down my life on your behalf that you can leave it behind. Don't drag it around with you. You don't need to. God wants to free you from your guilt. He goes on in verse 34 to say, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices a sin is a slave to sin. We don't want that slavery to something. And, it, and it, re, it keeps producing guilt. When we're a slave to sin, guilt keeps coming up. Why? Because we're constantly convicted. God wants it out of our life. We kind of feel convicted about it. We feel guilty about it. He wants to set us free from those things, that bondage. In that argument there, the Pharisees are saying, We've not, we're not a slave to anybody. Why do we need to be set free? Ah, you're a, you're a slave to sin. Whoever practices sin is a slave to sin. But God wants to bring freedom to that. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22. Let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Now, there's a lot of 
symbolism in here and tied in with Jewish history and those kind of things that we could talk about. But what, what he's talking about is this, this sprinkling of the blood, this cleansing of the blood of Jesus. We sang about it this morning. Jesus, your blood has made my hands clean. What does that mean? I mean, there's some allegory there. It's his blood that he shed on the cross. You, we have guilt on our own hands. Our hands are dirty with the things that we've done. But the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from those sins. It cleanses our hands. And then he goes on that next line. I didn't think about it until we were singing it this first, uh, the second time today. Uh, Jesus, your blood have, has made my hands clean that I may not hide my face from you. What do we do when we're guilty? We hide. I don't want God to see me. I don't want to talk to God. I feel stupid or I don't want to deal with it or whatever the reason is. And yet his blood has made our hands clean that we don't have to have guilt before him. Even if we did it, even if we are technically guilty, we don't need to hold on to that guilt anymore. His blood is sufficient. That word, that's, that's the word of God coming to us and saying, I'm freeing you of this if you will lay hold of it, if you'll let it do that work in your life. For whenever our heart condemns us, 1 John chapter 3 Verses 20 through 21. For whenever our heart condemns us, does your heart condemn you? Do you know that feeling internally, feeling condemned? God is greater than our heart. And he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, then we have confidence before God. How do I get out of that condemnation? that I might be able to be confident before God. Well, it goes on in Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If I've received that word, if I believe it, if I'm engaged in that relationship with God, I am free. There isn't a condemnation. I can be confident before God. But all of this comes because God chose to insert himself into our creation through his word. And ultimately the fulfillment of that, the manifestation of God through Jesus Christ. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Go ahead and feel free to elbow somebody if you need to. And gave himself up for her. Let's focus here on what Jesus did, okay? Christ loved the church. What's the church? His people, those who would believe. The church isn't a building, it isn't a place. It's the people. God, Christ loved his people and gave himself up for them that he might sanctify them, having cleansed them. Okay, I'm substituting the word them so that we really get the picture here. Having cleansed them by the washing of water, which we just saw earlier in the scripture, with the word. What does the word do? It cleanses us. Our hands are dirty. Our consciences are dirty. Our hearts are dirty. We need washed clean. God's word does that. What he's done for us, when we lay hold of it and believe it, it cleanses us. And it goes on to say, so that he might present the church, present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle. How are we cleansed? How do we have this clear conscience? How do we become who we, we need to be through the word of God, through receiving it, believing it, acting upon it. What else does the scripture do? What does the Bible do? What does the word of God do for us? It stimulates our growth. It stimulates our growth. What does it mean to grow as a Christian? Some of us are starting to grow the wrong direction. When we're little, we grow this direction. What does it talk about? 
when we want to grow as Christians. Some of us, our heads get bigger and bigger and bigger with the information that we got. Our heads swell. That's how we grow. But God wants us to grow spiritually. He wants to grow us up in a, in a spiritual maturity. So when we look at Ephesians chapter 5, or I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter 4, he's talking about gifts that he's given to the church, and then he goes on to explain why these gifts have, give, have been given, and he says, to equip the saints for work of ministry. You're the saints. We're the saints. And we're being equipped for works of ministry. You have ministry in your life. I, I always, I mean, you can't deal with it every time that someone say, oh, you're a minister. And I just want to say, no, we're all ministers. That's really how we should see this situation. We're all called to ministry. Oh, you're called to ministry. We're all called to ministry. Because of the ministry, according to the scriptures, is a little different than maybe what our culture has defined it as. To equip the saints for work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. What is the point of this? That these gifts would be given? That the body of Christ would be built. Why? It's supposed to be built. It's supposed to grow. Grow in maturity. Grow in effectiveness. Grow in quantity. All of the kinds of things that entail the idea of growth. Until there's a goal, there's an objective, there's a reason behind all this. God is wanting us to attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of fullness of Christ. There's a fullness that is in Christ that is our example, and we're to grow up and become mature, demonstrating that example to the world around us. God wants us to grow up. The Scripture talks about elsewhere that when we're immature, we can only handle the milk of the Word of God. We can't handle the meat. We can't handle the the deeper things or the more mature things because we're babies. And yet God calls us to grow up and become mature that we might handle the word properly or with more effectiveness. That uh, until we reach this mature, a measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, we're growing up to be like Jesus so that we may no longer be children the opposite of children. God wants us to grow up. And he's given us his word to stimulate that growth. And his word has instructed us to grow. And so we should be asking ourselves, you know, particularly maybe when the end of the year rolls around, really every day, but at times taking inventory and go, have I grown? Have I become more mature? Have I developed further along in this process? I think if we're processing and taking in and working the word of God in our lives, you will always be growing. When we're children, it says we're tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness of deceitful schemes. Well, God wants us to outgrow those things, that when the waves batter and life is throwing different things at us, we know how to steer the ship because we're mature. We, we rely on the Word of God. We see Him above the circumstances. We, we have a grasp of the truth, and we don't have to fear the wind and the waves that life hammers at us. But if we're children, the boat is turned and twisted every which way with every wind of everything that comes along. Colossians chapter 1, verse 28. Him, Jesus, we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. What was the objective of the apostles here? 
They're, 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 they're teaching Christ, which is the word, the words he brought, the demonstration he brought, teaching what God has uh, spoken and what he's doing. Why? That they may become mature in Christ. You see very clearly here their objective, and we should all then be taking on that example. Our objective would be to become mature and that we would help one another on towards maturity. The scripture is full of exhortation for us to spur one another on towards love and good deeds, those kinds of things, that we would become mature. The word of God stimulates that growth. Acts chapter 20, Paul is leaving the Ephesian elders. He is not going to see them again, likely. And he says this, And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace which is able to, what? Build you up. We're on a journey towards maturity, and God is challenging and encouraging and provoking us to do so. This God and his word of grace are able to build you up and, bonus, give you an an inheritance. Where do we see that inheritance? We see it in the word. If that word, if I'm not processing the word and taking in the word, I don't know what my inheritance is. Who's the richest person in the world right now? I have no idea. I just randomly thought of this. Does anybody know? Okay, well, in my time, it was like Bill Gates or what's the other guy? Uh, What's that? Amazon guy? Okay, Amazon guy. Jeff, what is it? All right, so let's say you're one of his kids. Anyone want to be his kid? At least for the inheritance, huh? But you never read the will when he's gone. Didn't bother. Didn't access it. Never took advantage of it. Didn't want it. But you have an inheritance in the Word of God. Something that God has given to you to lay hold of that will change your life. But just leave the will in the safe. I don't care what it says. I'm not going to let it take effect in my life. That's almost, it's almost silly. Wouldn't that be silly to not take advantage of that and put it to use? God, in his word, it says it right here, and the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance. That's what it's there for. Very important and powerful, the word of God in causing us to grow. From childhood, Paul writing to Timothy, we've looked at this passage many times this year. From childhood, you've been acquainted with the sacred writings should be a goal for all of us, which are able to, what do these sacred writings do? What does the word of God do? They're able to do something. They do this. They're able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable. Okay, again, the word is coming with this effectiveness for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, all concepts of growth to lead us to this end that Jason pointed out to us weeks ago. Why? That the man of God may be complete. There's a growth, a maturity that the word of God brings into our lives and a journey that God wants to take us on. What else does the word of God do? It illuminates my mind. Psalm 119, 130. The unfolding of your word gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. 
We're reading the word, it opens our eyes. We see things we never saw before. It brings understanding to things we've never understood before. It illuminates our minds. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. Above and beyond the teachings of man, meditating on them, there's an illumination to our mind that takes place. The word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Is the flashlight for life, illuminating the way, illuminating our understanding. Open my eyes that I may behold your wonder, behold wondrous things out of your law. Psalm one nineteen eighteen. There's an illumination effect of God's word, and quickly I'm going to go through these last two and wrap it up. It elevates our mood. Brings joy and encouragement. The Word of God encourages us. Some of us could use that. For whatever was written in the former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scripture, we might have hope. God brings hope. He brings encouragement through His Word. You are my hiding place and my shield. There's such a comfort there. We're down and we need comforted at times, and there's so much comfort in the Word of God. The Word of God impacts our mood. And lastly, it liberates our potential. Liberates our potential. Story after story after story. We'll know the truth. You know, the truth will set us free if we've been abiding in the word of God. And we see that the word of God has come to individual lives in the Old Testament. People like Gideon. People like Moses. People like Paul. People like Peter. People that didn't believe they could do it. Gideon didn't think he could be the leader of Israel. He was the least of the least of the least. And yet the word of God came and changed everything. And Moses didn't want to go back to Egypt. He didn't think he could speak. But God said to him, who made man's mouth? And he brought his word and he changed everything, as with Paul and with Peter. Let's take a quick look at the list. Here were the seven things I covered very quickly. The word of God activates my faith, recreates my life, eradicates my guilt, stimulates my growth, illuminates my mind, elevates my mood, liberates my potential. Action, action, action. The Word of God is alive and active. It does things in our lives. It goes out and does what He sent it out to do. It doesn't return to Him void. It accomplishes things. Could you use some of these things today? I could. And I know that if I, if I need some of these things going on in my life, all of them actually, I can go to the Word of God for my answers. Would you stand, please? Not only for my answers, but for the power to accomplish them. Very important. It's not just given for our information, but our transformation. Father, we thank you for today. I pray that the scripture, all of these scriptures we've just hammered through today, Lord, would be resonating in us. Lord, opening our eyes to the power of your word and how it transforms our lives. Father, I pray that you bless each one as they go, that these seeds of your word would find place on fertile soil and produce fruit and accomplish things and bring change in our lives. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, that's the conclusion of our service today. If you would like to receive prayer for anything, we've got a prayer team right up over here to my left. They'd love to visit with you and pray. And uh, Otherwise, have a great week, you guys. Drive safe.